Vine Pairs New York City headquarters, I'm Adam Keeter. And in Seattle, Washington, I'm Zach Chabal. And this is the Vine Pair Podcast. And uh, Zach, before we jump off into uh, today's topic, I, uh, you know, I gotta say, it's, uh, I don't know, the weather out there is getting chillier. I, I think like we're, I think we're, we're approaching peak fall. Like this is the first official week of fall. Uh, you know, I, I think it's time for, uh, for some fall libations. What do you think? I, well, I live in Seattle, which is kind of the land of perpetual fall. It feels like, um, but, uh, but you know, I, I'm with you hundred percent. Do you have, a I thought favorite? it was the land of Jeff Bezos. Oh, well, okay. That's another story. Not this podcast, buddy. Uh, what, uh, what's your, fa- do you have a favorite fall libation? Favorite fall libation? Yeah, no, definitely one I don't like, but everyone already knows that. That'd be pumpkin beer uh-huh. or anything really. I'm not, I'm not a big fan, but uh, no, I mean I, I tend to like many things in the fall. Uh, you know, good like reds. I'm a big fan of Pinot. Uh, really like the the Gamay in the fall, especially around Thanksgiving. Obviously, um, you know, I love moving towards more. Uh, you know, brown spirits, so old fashions, Manhattans, although Manhattans I really dig mostly in the winter. Um, yeah, man, but but really anything. I uh, I just I like like as we as we've discussed on other podcasts, I like just like the the fall drinking. I like being outside. I like walking through the streets and you know seeing everybody drinking at the bars while they're watching games. And uh, it's a it's a fun time. Yeah. I will say, I, I think most of the things that I love in the fall to drink, I drink to some extent around the year. But the one exception for me is that sort of, there's like a specific type of beer. And I'm not going to say like an Oktoberfest beer because it's really not that. It's like, the best way I can describe it is kind of like a copper ale. So it's like, you know, sort of that like, it's not quite a red, not quite a brown. It has that kind of like slight malty note, but it's also like, it's not a full, it's definitely not into that sort of like nut brown or definitely not into like a porter territory. And there's something that like, I don't really go for that most of the year. Most of the year I drink, if I drink beer, I'm probably drinking either something, you know, more like a Pilsner or I'm drinking like a really, truly dark beer in the winter. But it does, out of all the sort of fall drinks, that is the one to me that's like most perfectly aligned with the season and that I really don't opt for any other time. Oh, copper beer. I don't even know what you're saying now. Well, you can ask Kat. She'll clarify. I will. We're going to have to ask her, like, what the actual official term is. But come on, Adam. You know all these things are, like, with beer, man. It's just, it's whatever you want it to be. There's no, there's almost no designations that are, like, set in stone. It's not like, it's not like the land of wine where everything's really simple and clear cut. Oh, yeah. Super simple. Clear cut (laughs) land of wine. Yeah. Yeah, man. I don't know. There's, it's cool, though. I was away this weekend, uh, you know, um, it was, it was fun to be in upstate New York watching the, the leaves change and like go sitting outside at a brewery and like having some beers. It was, uh, definitely like got me in the mood for, you know, just being outside and hanging out. Cause in the summer, like we all, we all love being outside, but we also have to admit that like, it's, it's awful to drink outside in the summer. It's so hot, you know, like you have to have the tiniest beer. So they stay cold. You know, you want to have lots of ice with your cocktails or else you really can't drink a lot outside in the summer. But this is the time when now like sitting outside, the drink stays the right temperature. It's super comfortable to be sitting in, you know, on the porch or whatever, and just like having a really nice drink. And uh, that's that's why I think it's it's such a great time of year. Yeah, I, I can't argue. It's it's delightful. I also love this time of year for food. It's like fall food is my favorite food. So, what are you like a big fan of? Pumpkin shit. Uh, I like other squashes. <laughs> thank you. Um, the pumpkin is not my go-to, but but it's like a great time of year for like 
to start to braise things, which I love. You know, you, it's like, it, it, you don't, it, again, it's not so brutally hot, so you can eat a little bit heavier food, but it's still got that, like, hint of summer for me, at least, which I dig. Um, that's just, like, a thing that, that I, I like this kind of season. It's sort of, like, right in the transition, and you're still getting some, like, you know, sort of summery produce, at least here in Seattle, but it's at the same time, you're starting to get, like I said, like, those hard-shelled squashes and um, mushrooms and things like that that I really love. What's your, like, quintessential fall dish? Uh, oh, God. Well, I, it's funny that you say this because I will be making it tomorrow night. Uh, spoiler warning to my wife who doesn't know it, but when she listens to this podcast, she will. Uh, I love to make like a chanterelle mushroom risotto. Really? Mm-hmm. Interesting. Sounds like a good one. I, was, I thought you were going to say brats. Uh, <laughs> no, no. I mean, those are also tasty, but... Uh, you feel but like a brats. I feel like you're a brats guy. Oh, man. I, I'm not from Wisconsin. My wife is, man. I'm a I'm a sophisticated coastal man. Uh, not that there's anything wrong with brats. Anyhow, this is getting way off topic. Uh, I know. <laughs> but, uh, you know, whatever. You all listen to us for, for whatever whatever set of reasons, and sometimes it's so, just this back so and forth. So let's get into it. Fine, sure. fine, Jack. Fine. You're telling me. We're going to get into it. So the, what we want to talk about today is um, this topic that you and I have chatted about a little bit. I want to talk about a spirit that... Uh, People love, yet in the industry gets literally zero respect. And I was thinking about this uh, when you and I had, um, you know, had the pod- the Tiki podcast, right? Um, and Brian Miller was basically, you know, made an offhanded comment that he only has one vodka at his bar. And I started thinking about that and thinking about how much people love vodka as consumers and how it's it's still the number one spirit in America, yet as a as a, the side of the trade, the people who actually serve vodka, they hate it. Yeah. Right. Um, I, I definitely understand why both sides exist, but I sort of I want to chat with you about why you think there is such a love for vodka on the side of, uh, you know, the consumer, and such a I don't want to say hatred, but lack of respect for vodka on the side of uh, the mixology world. And maybe are we talking past each other or are we each doing it wrong? How can we resolve this disconnect between those that love it and those that don't like it at all? That's a good question. I think, you know, vodka sort of suffers from and benefits from the same thing, which is it's sort of ability to disappear into a drink in a way that basically no other spirit can. So if your goal is intoxication or at least, you know, some something, you know, walking up towards that, which, you know, look, we, we don't like to encourage excessive drinking, but we also know that it happens. And for some people, part of drinking is inebriation. And for those people, often vodka is a great choice because it tastes like basically whatever you're mixing it with. So whether that's, you know, fruit juice or some sort of soda or whatever, um, it disappears, you know, relatively seamlessly. And and even if it's relatively inexpensive vodka, you can kind of cover it up with whatever you want. Now, as, as someone on the drink side, you know, someone who worked as a bartender for a number of years, that isn't generally what we're looking for in, in a spirit. You know, we're looking for something um, when we're creating cocktails or we're looking to make something that, that our guests are going to enjoy. You know, we want to opt for spirits that add a distinctive flavor to the drink. And most vodka, especially most kind of well-known um you know, well-known brands and even some of the craft stuff that's kind of out there, you know, is almost more defined by what it does not taste like than what it tastes like. And I mean, the big, I think part of the rise of vodka's popularity was the sort of emphasis on like, we're going to make these, you know, super distilled, super clean, super pure, you know, you look at the sort of you know, way that those vodkas have been sold and it is on this sort of sense of purity. And, and that's a great feature if you're a certain kind of consumer, but as a person on the bar trade, it's just not very interesting. Um, at least that's that's always been my perception. And I think it's general. I mean, that's probably what Brian was getting at too. 
Yeah, I can see that. I, I definitely can see this belief that, you know, because it it disappears so well, it's seen as simplistic that it's not serious. The thing that I think is interesting, though, is as I've, you know, <clears throat> I guess evolved as a, a drinker or, or, or come in contact with more types of spirits and styles of drinks, I do find that there are certain times when, like, the vodka cocktail delivers a refreshing cocktail that it's sort of like what I'm in the mood for at the moment at, at which if I'd had a brown spirit or you know even a gin it might be too much do you know what I'm saying I do and I think you're right I think there is a I mean I, I will say that well my sympathy probably in general lies a little closer to the Brian Millers of the world than the whoever the opposite pole is there I do think you're right that there is a time and a place for a good cocktail that incorporates vodka into it um, but I do think that that, that unfortunately Part of the problem is just vodka itself has not taken. I mean, and this is a broad, you know, brush, obviously, but vodka as a brand or a, as a, you know, kind of as a category has not taken itself all that seriously for a long time. And so, you know, I, I will say totally honestly, like I, I haven't tasted a lot of like super premium vodka to know. Okay, does this really set it apart? I mean, I've had a few chances, but but you know, when, whereas when you get a chance, when I get a chance to try, you know, sort of more premium renditions of whatever spirit, be it clear or brown or whatever, even if I don't always love the super premium you know, versions, you can sort of understand what the price is driven by and sort of why someone might find it appealing. I mean, we talked about this when we talked about aged whiskey, right? Like there's there's an obvious set of characteristics that define these sort of very high-end, very old whiskeys. Well, vodka, like I don't think I've ever had an aged vodka and I wouldn't expect to because what would it be aged in? Otherwise, if it's aged in something, it's really not vodka anymore. And I haven't had a lot of like, you know, a lot of the sort of flavored vodkas are horrifying. Oh, no, let's not talk about those. Let's not talk about those. (laughs) Well, it's a part of the vodka story. But yes, I agree. I mean, we're we're talking about sort of the spirit, not in a in a non bastardized form, I think. But in general, it's just it's it's just pure smoothness, the defining characteristic of a premium vodka. (sighs) I, no, well, so, that's so, what I take it as, and that's not that interesting to me. Well, look, this this is why I I thought that this was be an interesting conversation is because, um, you know, this coming weekend I've planned my brother's bachelor party, um, and he's he's finally getting married. I know it's a shock. That's all. Yeah, Mazel Tov, Ben. Um, but he uh he really wanted to go to Portland, and uh, he wanted to go to Portland, Oregon, specifically um for the beer. I'm hurt uh, so that you cannot convince him to come to Seattle, but. Then again, I'm glad. I don't. I don't want to know what you would be saying right now if you were coming to Seattle. I don't know. Yeah, we'd probably just be like, "Oh God, I don't know why we chose Seattle." <laughs> um, but he really wanted to go for the beer. He has a lot of breweries uh, in Portland that he loves. Um, I share th- that love with him of, of places like, uh, you know, Breakside and uh, you know, people doing really cool beer in Portland. So it was really interesting to him to go, and he's never been, and he wanted to go see the Kennedy School, which I have you been to before, the McMinnerman's Kennedy School. Um, uh, I have not actually no institution there. So you know, lots of beer culture esque stuff. But you know, Portland's Portland's well rounded. It's an amazing food city. It's an amazing wine city, cocktail city, and so everyone who I polled about the one restaurant we should go to, especially if you're you know seven guys in Portland, everyone said you got to go to Kashka. Ah, this which, makes sense now. Yeah, which is this you know really famous at this point uh russian ukrainian restaurant um opened how many years ago do you think like three or four uh i was gonna say five but yeah in that ballpark yeah has has a very successful cookbook now you should definitely get it but anyways when i was going back and forth with the lovely people at the restaurant trying to figure out like what uh the dinner is going to look like for our our big meal 
they asked, you know, do you want to do vodka flights? And I was thinking like, oh, okay, like, what are we, like I guess, yeah, like, so they sent me this crazy list, right, of like 20 different flights they offer mm. of vodkas. And I'm thinking to myself sort of what you're thinking, like, isn't the whole point of vodka that it should just taste like nothing? Yeah. And so therefore, like, does it really matter if I get the $13 flight or the $35 flight? It's three vodka shots per person. Like, like who cares? And I was talking to their beverage team and they were basically saying to me, like, no, actually, there's a lot of nuance in these different vodkas, depending on where they're made, um, you know, how they were made, the kind of grain that was used. Like there actually is nuance you can pick up and that these have been nuances that have been really important to people in Eastern Europe forever who have Mm. consumed vodka, right, as part of their culture, as part of their their eating and drinking culture. And we sort of took vodka in the U.S. and turned that around and basically said, no, what it is is it's all about tasting like nothing and being that bottle you can have at the club and mix with whatever juice they're willing to bring next to that bottle service, but vodka. Yeah. And that kind of changed – the way vodka has been perceived when vodka actually is potentially, I mean, they've said the serious spirit. Hmm. Now on top of that experience, I also recently got to try this, this new vodka that's been put out by Belvedere. So they make a lake and a forest vodka. So these, these two high end, uh, vodkas from the company, from the, from the brand that basically are pure distillates from grain that come from either their forest property in Poland or their lake property in Portland. These are, a Poland, not Portland. These are, that would be crazy. Uh, these are considered to be like the, the two, they, they make, they, I guess they have six sites where they make vodka in Poland to make the normal Belvedere, but these are considered to be their two best sites hmm. of the six. And I have to say, there was a clear difference in the vodkas when I tasted them blind. A clear difference. The lake was much more floral and fresh and bright, and, uh, and you could see it doing really well in, uh, you know, a very like a, a a vivacious effervescent cocktail hmm. you could see it doing really well in even maybe like a I, I would i don't advocate for this so tim mccurdy don't come at me bro uh but if you were to do a a vodka martini i could see it doing very well in a vodka martini especially with a lemon twist especially if you did it with like instead of uh you know vermouth if you did it with like a or something could be really cool so basically a vesper exactly or you had this forest vodka that was really, oh God, almost whiskey-esque. Huh. And not whiskey like wood-aged, okay, fine. It hadn't made your barrel, but almost like what you taste when you first have White Lightning, gotcha. right? When you first have Moonshine. And it had this, you know, backbone to it and spice that you could see doing really well in a cocktail that might include some Amaro mm. or some, uh, you know, some other brown spirit or flavorings right or something maybe even like a a riff on a manhattan right like it was really interesting and i'd never had that experience before and so that's why i started thinking like okay like have we just as a culture decided to discount first of all this entire part of the world that does drink this as part of their daily life and has a ceremony around drinking it and then discounted it as cocktail makers because we just think of it as that spirit that we bought when we were in college and high school and mixed with like Gatorade or fruit punch or whatever else we could find just in order to, to get inebriated. 
Hmm. I also wonder, you know, and it'll be really curious to, you know, maybe when we uh, next time we record after you're back from your trip, but to hear about sort of how it plays at the table, because I mean, I think that's kind of part of what Kashka goes for. And I've been there before and had some vodka um, as a part of my meal. And, and when I was in Poland a couple years ago, you know, that's one of the things that you certainly have when you go there. Um, and it is interesting to see how it, it, it sort of works as a dining accompaniment because it's definitely i think one of the last things that i would typically think of as like you know we're going out to dinner or we're having dinner at home let's have vodka especially straight but i mean i think that is kind of you know what they're going for right i mean that's kind of yeah the idea. i do i do yeah i think i think like you think about these cuisines of eastern europe and they're heavy they're mostly brown uh in just terms of coloring so i mean that's basically that used to be the joke of my family since uh half my mom's side being Ashkenazi Jews are from uh, Eastern Europe. Um, and a lot of Ashkenazi Jewish food is inspired by Eastern European food, and it's very brown, right? It's like... Yeah, some of it's red, to be fair. Lots, Yeah, lots of potato, lots of uh, heavy, you know, brisket and stews and borscht and uh, all that kind of stuff, right? And so you think, well, that's not really a cuisine that easily pairs with wine. Yeah. You know, it's, there's already so much, the, the food is so heavy. Like how much more liquid do you want to add to your stomach? But you want something that helps, you know, with the digestion that also helps with the conviviality of the moment of the dinner. And so having vodka on the table and a few shots throughout the night and they don't shoot them, right? Like we would shoot normal shots. Yeah. They're sipping the vodka and, and usually having something pickled with it mm-hmm. is a really cool cultural experience and something that aids in you know sort of enhancing the food yeah. and the flavors so that that i think is what makes it interesting when we think about it from a cultural standpoint and that we sort of have just dismissed it as being simple for so long when it actually maybe isn't and yeah. maybe we should give it a second look well and i definitely think there is some truth to that when you start looking at you know what's kind of coming out of whether it's this belvedere project or like russian standard which is a brand that's now available pretty widely in the u.s and has a, lo- a few different levels you know when you're looking at stuff that is sort of made in eastern europe that is maybe made with an eye to um, connecting with that culinary and cultural history and, and maybe you know showing showcasing a more complex spirit than other brands which have kind of focused again on sort of a degree of distillation and purity where it doesn't even matter what the raw material was or where it came from it just kind of again sort of doesn't taste like much of anything and and that vodka also has a place for sure i mean i'm someone who's been known to drink a vodka soda from time to time when i'm out and i want to yeah. <laughs> you know not drink anything more um heavy than that you know there's a night that calls for the vodka soda in my past and in my future i'm sure um but but it's it's true that I think the interesting side of it for people like you and me is, are, is this application at the table and these expressions that go a little bit beyond, um, you know, that that sort of neutrality that vodka often aspires to. Yeah. I mean, the one the one thing you got I got to say is like we just got we do have to call bullshit on the myth that vodka doesn't give you as bad of a hangover as any other spirit. Uh, I think that's bullshit. I think if you drink enough vodka, you're going to be just as hungover as if you drink enough bourbon. Um, But but I would also say like the other thing to just think about is like as the people, you know, I have to catch myself more, I think, in passing judgment on those that really enjoy vodka and vodka cocktails. Because I think in the past week, and I'm hoping that this is changed even more by going to Kashka, I have – and I mean I think I've talked about this on the podcast before, but like I got to – I had the really cool opportunity a few months ago to go to Ukraine. Like there is a lot of really cool 
experiences and cultures that have all been connected to this this one spirit. And there is a reason that it is the most popular spirit in the country and arguably I would say the world. And it is – well, no, that would be Baiju. But um, it is a really interesting spirit in a lot of ways. And like – so let's maybe try to understand why people like it and are trying to put it in cocktails and maybe challenge it a little bit to do more than just a vodka soda if they like vodka. Yeah. you know, Or do do a little bit more than just saying that a vodka martini is just chilled – vodka with a with a with a twist right like get them to add a little bit of vermouth or some lele or something to try to 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 show some other layerings of flavors but as you see more of these companies coming out with interesting vodkas like belvedere like kettle one botanicals etc let's let's see what we can do with it instead of just saying oh vodka's for people that don't like spirits yeah and i think look th- there's no doubt that a big chunk of vodka's popularity has been and probably will continue to be the very thing we talked about at the top, which is that it is, you know, a pretty seamless blending partner with a wide range of ingredients. And that's cool, too. Like, we're not out here trying, whether it's the vodka soda or, you know, the cranberry vodka or whatever. I'm not here trying to tell you, like, stop drinking that. Like, I, that that's that's fine. I think, though, what, what your point, and, and I think the one that I take away from this conversation and, and would love to continue to have in the future is – there's a lot of things in the world, uh, spirits um, in particular, but also you know other traditions and uh, from around the world that that have started out or had an era where people have dismissed them as simplistic or uninteresting, and we found that well actually you know it's not true that that you know mezcal which was a joke 20 years ago you know was the you know it had a worm in it right we all thought it was disgusting and you drank it because you right. couldn't find anything else in right. Mexico now mezcal is one of the most fascinating you know not just spirits but just drinks on the planet there's so much uh, interesting variety and nuance and subtlety that that has been you know made clear to the uh to the drinking populace um because people have said you know what i am going to take this thing seriously and i wouldn't surprise me at all to find that vodka has some of that too i mean there there's always going to be a way in which you know the way you make vodka is going to maybe limit some of the the flavor palette but but i think that in some ways actually helps differentiate the truly interesting stuff because it will stand out and i'm sure that when you have your however many flights at kashka uh next weekend you will probably multiple that has any say in it <laughs> yeah you will you will say oh man like there will be a few that stand out and and that's going to be super cool and and that's maybe easier to do in a category like vodka where a lot of it doesn't and 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 something that we should all keep in mind that that all of these categories have really you know they're they're outliers and they're really fascinating attributes yeah i agree well, hopefully, Zach, I make it back alive uh-huh. next next weekend. Don't come knocking and, uh, on my door, man. It's it's not that far <sighs> away, but I don't I don't want to hear it. Was like an hour and a half. Uh, well, are you driving or flying? It's like three hours by car. Oh, then yeah, no. <laughs> uh, that's, all I, that's all I got. That's going to be one expensive Uber ride. Let's put it that way. That's really yeah, exactly. But I am hoping that uh, you know, we make it back all in one piece, and uh, you know, then I'll I'll be I'll be talking to you again. Uh, next week (laughs) sounds great be safe thanks for listening to vine pair we'd love to hear what you think feel free to drop us a line at podcast at vinepair.com and if you really love the show we'd love if you rate it and leave us a review on itunes stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts reviews and ratings really help other people discover the show now for the credits vine pair is recorded in new york city at vine pair headquarters and in seattle washington at cloud studios our engineer is nick patry and the show is produced by Zach Jawal and me. Our show logo was designed by Daniel Gridberg. Special thanks as well to the entire VinePair staff, including but not limited to my co-founder, Josh Mallon, and our editor-in-chief, Emily Saladino. Thanks so much for listening, and see you next week.